I enjoyed being roasted on the internet for... Um... Holy shit, right? Yeah. That <laughs> was nuts. And people were like, oh no, he's brainwashed Graham. That was weird. <laughs> like, I, I, I think that's the most feedback we've ever had for a podcast. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. So we'll see what happens here. Because I have to say, I'm like, uh, well, the stuff <laughs> before was pretty good. <laughs> but here's the thing. We're doing eight issues, and I I would say of the eight issues we're doing, four of them are at best pretty, except oh, yeah. one of them is that fill-in, yeah, that is neither pretty yeah. nor good nor anything worthwhile. Like that is the time where you're like, I wish you had just skipped this month. Yeah, right. Sir- <laughs> no oh one, man, no one's life would have been any worse that you just decided to skip a month. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Hello, whatnots, and welcome to the Baxter Building. We are the, uh, I was going to say the only, but that's not true. We are one of two podcasts on the internet that goes through the Fantastic Four, published by Marvel. Now, as Jeff said, just before we started recording, making a comeback, because of course it is. We are running through the first volume of Marvel's Fantastic Four, the 416 issues of magic that it is, uh, and annuals, which we haven't done in ages, Jeff, and we really should do annuals again. I realized that while preparing as well. I am Graham McMillan. With me is my esteemed, my bearded, my beautiful co-host. I feel like I should just play like some little tape record, like sound card, where it's like, Jeff Lester! Because I feel like an asshole saying my own name. That goes wild. <laughs> I, just, I just did my, my You do it name. well, Graham. I don't know. You're kind of like, hey, I'm I'm Graham McMillan. You're not, you're not like, I'm like, and here he is, the Scots with the guts, the charming <laughs> the charm of self-harm mister <laughs> you know and i honestly thought you're gonna go with the charm and the smarm but i'll, yeah. I'll take the charm of what does he say the charm of self-harm the charm of self-harm yeah it's just hard if i was just like hi i'm jeff lester but you do this beautiful thing where it's like i'm always like uh, i should correct him no now i've got to say my own name uh this feels so uh contrived shutting down but enough about me, whatnots. We've got some Fantastic Four issues to discuss, and let me tell you, I will say that we are discussing issues 342 through 349 of the Fantastic Four. And it, I think, Jeff, you'd agree, eight of the greatest issues of Fantastic Four ever published. Would I? Would, would I? Wait, what am I, I, I'm supposed to agree to that? <laughs> well, and then I was blatantly lying oh okay uh, I, yes i hope you wouldn't agree in, in blatant uh, yeah. lie world yes absolutely yeah the, these are we okay let's just lay our cards in the tables whatnot yep i'm saying tables because jeff and i are in different locations we have a table each <laughs> you also listeners are in different places you well, probably well, not, also have tables yeah i was but don't make assumptions man i gotta tell you like that's the, true the like who knows where you are podcast with no table is like okay i'm excluded thanks i just like comic books 
Or even better, they have like a table that they've built out of long boxes. Right? Know? I was going to say, you can improvise a table. Well, I, I, anyway, we got, and I say we, I mean Jeff, got beaten up for the last podcast uh, for not worshipping at the altar of Walt Simonson. As someone who does at least visit the altar of Walt Simonson on a regular basis <laughs> and admiringly at it, if not worship, uh, I can, I, I feel like I simultaneously like avoided a lot of the hate, while also got lumped in in the I can't believe Graham has been brainwashed. It's part. true! It's um, true! Suddenly you became this abused spouse or something. It was terrible. And I, I, I just want to say a couple of things. One, Jeff was not gaslighting me. <laughs> Although, if I was being gaslit, I would say that, wouldn't I? It's true. Wink. Uh, and thing number two, <laughs> while I think everyone should love the comics that they love, anyone who genuinely tries to make a case that the eight issues we're about to read are career bests for anyone involved or a series best for Fantastic Four you're wrong and maybe you should seek professional help yeah yeah it's very true it'll be fun to sort of to break these open and try sort of try and figure out why that is because I have to say um after getting roasted, part of me was like, well, you know, maybe I've been a little close-minded and I read these issues and I'm like, okay, all well, right. But, this is but not we, were be set up, little... we were set up for failure because these issues start with issue 342, which is a fill-in. And it's not just a fill-in. It's a fill-in which aesthetically is a million miles away from the rest of the run with the exception of the first page where someone attempts to draw in a, a Simonson style and... I mean, gets relatively close. That yeah, second it's not panel bad. Is, yeah, is, is, I, I, yeah. is okay. Mm -hmm. But also, the story, burnout, exclamation point, is staggeringly a retread of John Byrne's story about the kid who sets himself on fire. Yeah. Made more generic and infinitely more shit. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. Plus, it features Rusty Collins from X Factor, a.k.a. that guy who's an X Factor that no one fucking remembers. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Danny Finger off and someone called Rex Valve, which I mean, I have you ever heard of Rex Valve? I want to know if Rex Valve is a pen name because I, I assumed it was a pen name. name. Yeah, it it really had that sense to it, right? It, but it it's um, it's terrible. It's it's outright one hundred percent terrible. Uh, I, I I honestly part of me was just be like Jeff, do you have anything else to say, and then move on, and then we can move on. Because yeah. it's that bad. You know what, Graham? I have to tell you, I I did something this episode that I've never done before, and I will never do again because I was not able to complete it. But did you set the the dialogue from each of the comics to to song? Oh man, that would have been great. No, I do that every episode. I just don't share it with anyone because uh, I'm ashamed. No, I wrote. Um, uh, recaps. Uh, oh my God! Share your recap of three forty two then, please. I, I I certainly shall. I certainly shall. Also, you got further. You didn't just get through three forty two, and then we're like, oh fuck this. You know, I made it to the end of three forty four, and and admittedly, part of it is they begin getting shorter and shorter. But then I looked at three forty five, and I was just like, I give I give up. I mean, and part of that is it's <laughs> kind of three forty five is one of the better issues. In this you run. know what? I know you're gonna say that, but I'm just like a, I disagree, and b, it's almost impossible to recap unless you're doing it in one sentence. Okay, do your right. recap for three forty two. Burnout, the FF or the Fantastic Four face a foe no man can defeat as Stanley presents Burnout. 
I never figured out what that foe. I mockishness. I don't know. Anyway, no, it, it's sadness, Jeff. It's depression. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. It's crushing responsibilities of being a man who can set yourself on fire, and in doing so, inspires others to set themselves on fire. But because they don't have the same superpowers as you, they just burn. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. And that, and you know what? That's a thing we all have to worry about. Uh, I mean, it's a thing I have to worry about, but my problem is also I would also burn because I don't have superpowers. <laughs> so I have the responsibility of not even being able to set myself on fire, which crushes me even more. Yeah, it's true. It's it's it. You're right. This truly is a foe no man can defeat. Also, it's worth pointing out this story is written by Danny Fingeroth, who was that <laughs> Marvel better of? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And I I see why it definitely seems like a very hardworking attempt at breaking in via an inventory issue. But it's shocking. I don't know if you noticed, but they spell his name wrong, which is in the credits, which is just a... oh my god. So they do is Fingaro. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh. No. Yeah. Everything about this comic is terrible. <laughs> exactly. So here's my recap. A confusing flashback to that time that Crystal was part of the team and could battle the thing and Miss Marvel to a standstill with just a water fountain. The story opens with Johnny working on a car at his friend Chuck's auto repair shop upon hearing of 16-year-old high school dropout's death by self-immolation while mentioning his admiration for Johnny. Johnny fears he's going to have to go through that one John Byrne story again and flips out, exploding the car he's working on and destroying his friend's garage. After a flashback to that horrible burn issue, Johnny swears to never use his powers again, drives to New Jersey to encounter a bunch of punk no-goodniks who are friends of Ted Banyan, the teen who killed himself. Meanwhile, her Banyan, Ted's father, is drinking and planning revenge on Johnny. Fortunately for those plans, he's a member of the Seekers, high-tech bounty hunters who first appeared in Iron Man 214. But, fortunately for Johnny, while wandering Central Park, he encounters Rusty Collins, who I don't know from Adam, but the comic book cover tells me is from X-Factor. Rusty is trying to tell Johnny how much Johnny is an inspiration, but not in a I-want-to-set-myself-on-fire kind of way, but in a I-have-powers-that-allow-me-to-set-things-on-fire-and-you've-been-an-inspiration-to-me-in-setting-things-on-fire kind of way. At this point, the Seekers come after Johnny. Rusty and Johnny are forced to flee, and only Rusty, using his powers and Johnny's knowledge of how to run away, allow them to survive and defeat the Seekers. Johnny learns to love his flame powers again. Spider-Man drops by to tell Johnny he's been a non-self-immolatory inspiration to him, and Johnny gives a talk to the, head, to the high school where he inspires some, saves his reputation for others, and in a nicely realistic touch, fails to reach some teens at all that is a wonderful synopsis of the entire issue jeff and i i thank you for that because i just could not have gone through that again yeah I, there's a there's a few things i want to call out very quickly mm -hmm. one the punks who are inspired by johnny are amazing mm -hmm. uh, i particularly like that they have two posters in their lair one of which says black sabbath and the other <laughs> one says the torch is hot <laughs> That's that's the sort of punks they are, you guys. They're they're crazy, and they do say stuff like, "Hey man, look at him! It's the torch. He looks amazing." Yeah, uh, they are terrible. And uh, Thomas, open brackets, Steve, close brackets, Banyan kills himself because he actually he is was inspired by the torch in that way. He's, he's a member of those punks, and he would literally rather go out, flame out, yes, than than grow old. Yes, and so that that's what's that's what our our 
our flame-filled hero has to deal with. Rusty Collins, Jeff. You really don't know who he is? No, it's, it sounds it sounds like one of those sex acts that you don't you're not really sure actually exists. You know what I mean? Like uh, Rusty Collins is the kid who is <laughs> appears in. I'm not even going there yet. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Who appears in the first issue of X Factor? Oh, the first. Uh, yeah, he, he's the mutant that they rescue in the very first issue, mm-hmm. who then goes on to become like a quasi sidekick of the team. Right. Uh, then leads the Exterminators, which is the spin-off that lasted for four issues through Inferno, and then joins the New Mutants, where nobody knows what to do with them. Yeah. And when it becomes X Factor, they're just like, oh fuck it, he's just been ridden out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Rusty is pointless even the people working on the x-men books didn't really care about rusty collins sure well i and i mean that's one of the things that i really love about this script i mean everything about it is terrible but like danny fingeroth is really like i don't know it you just see this is it's such a like this is you know my early script filled with potential kind of thing where it's like i'm i'm gonna make people care about you know rusty collins i i'm gonna tie it into x factor i i'm gonna revisit the burn thing and i'm gonna build on it and i i've got the seekers in there and it's i love the idea that he actually thought that built on the burn issue because it most certainly did not yeah yeah well it's true yeah maybe maybe not maybe it's it's because i did have that feeling of like is he trying to retcon this? I don't know. It was. It was. Well, at first, it was like, wait, is this literally just a different take in the same story? Mm-hmm. And then he has the flashback to the little kid, and you're like, wait, are we supposed to believe that this is the second time in like two years yeah. that a kid has set himself on fire? For, right. Funny. I say two years. It's really nothing like that, right? Cause no. This it's... Is three, this is three forty-two, right? And that must have been like two seventy something. Was it two, right? I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so so it's it's probably much much longer. Yeah, but but still, no, it's it's it was an ill-advised issue, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I again, it it had it had all the everything about it screams uh, inventory issue. Um, you know. If I were in a different state of mind, I, I think I would try and talk about the whether or not there's a, anything coded about this story that I'm supposed to be getting, you know. But but I don't think well, that it's te- really worth. Teens or shit is one of the messages. <laughs> uh, punk teens, especially, are the worst. Right. Uh, and Johnny is really, really also shit. Because he is, of course, very close to teenagerdom himself. Because he just fucking destroys Chuck's auto shop. Well, yes, I mean, and, and then he's like, "I'll pay for it." And Chuck is clearly having like a heart attack or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, Chuck really is. He's like, "Oh, great, yeah, my entire life's work up in smoke. Terrific. I'm glad I'll get Plus, paid." Whoever else's car was there, right? Whoever that person was, <laughs> that would be. Let's face it. This is the story that demands a sequel in which the person whose car is destroyed at the beginning of this issue finally gets his revenge on Johnny Storm. Actually, <laughs> I say that and I'm I'm almost certain that Chip Zdarsky will use that as a Marvel 2-in-1 uh, story plot. So We can but hope. Yeah, indeed. You know, I, I would love to see Johnny and Ben go up against the Automator or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That, like, I, I am right there. He can look like a really shitty transformer because he's just like glued car parts to his hands or something. Yeah. Ooh, he could be like yeah. the Trans Am former or something. Like that. <gasps> there you go. 
I'm I'm okay with that. Trans <laughs> Ams for me are permanently stuck in Night Rider phase, and so I'm I'm yes, yeah. I'm there for that, Jeff. <laughs> Chip, if you're listening, open brackets. I know you're not, <laughs> but but ha- have this have this idea, please. Just just take it. It's our please. gift. It's our gift to you. Which or dance lots if you're looking for a, a story idea for your new Fantastic Four comic. You know, get Reed involved. There's nothing that Reed Richards would like more than the chance to fight against a car-themed villain who is out for revenge against Johnny because someone else set themselves on fire. I gotta admit, the more you say that, like I'm like, yeah, I wasn't really thinking, but you're right. Once you say the phrase "car-themed villain," I'm like, this this is a story I want to see, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, it's specifically I want to see Reed do it. Really? You know, Reed, would try, Reed would try and outthink the car. See, that's why I think it's kind of dull. Like, like Reed's got access to the, you know, whereas Johnny, Johnny's cocky. He's like, oh, I know cars. Car versus evil car. Oh, there we go. That's you're right. That's in the a, trick. In a, like drag race. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. If the, if the evil car wins, he gets the fantastic car. Uh, so Reed has to soup it up even more. Uh-huh. And also give it wheels. And Ben can get involved, could be like, Stretch, Flamo, I'm the pilot. Right. I should be the one driving. And Johnny's like, I like hot rods. And then it just it writes itself. It does. And it's called The Fast and the Furious. Oh, see, I was thinking, like, could you get, like, a flame thing in there? Yeah, that's why I went with it. But you're dragging in the rest of the FF, so I'm like, the Forius. I think the Forius is... No, no, I I see where you're going, Jeff. (laughs) I'm just not sure if that's where we want to go. People will be like, the Forius, is that a misprint? Yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. As long as they spell our names wrong in the credits in tribute to this issue. So... Uh, people, honestly, um, I think we've treated that with exactly the amount of respect. That is really about all that's worth saying about that issue. Yeah, I think that is that is about. Um, it's really better. I think that that we can. It we, is better left unsaid. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So uh, I will summarize. Should I try summarizing both Nuke Busters and Nuke Busters Two, and then we can talk about it. Yes, I would like to point out right now that Nuke Busters, uh, Fantastic Four issue 343, has three exclamation points in its title. Yes. <laughs> Not one, three. Yeah. Yeah. Nuke Busters! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, both of these issues are indeed done by uh, Walt Simonson writing and drawing them. I want to say that Bill Oakley's the letterer on one, and I want to say that I kind of thought that it was... Uh, uh yeah, John Workman does the lettering on the other. So um... and, and it's also worth pointing out the Nukebusters two, three, four, four is inked by Art Thilbert. Yes. So I think there was a I think there was a deadline crush happening somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um pa. So yes, I will I will I will uh summarize both of them. The story uh, Nukebusters 343 opens with the FF having returned home after their last great Simonson created adventure. Or have they? In fact, they soon realize, although arguably not soon enough since Simonson shows each of them realizing independently, they are on an alternate Earth, one where Alicia is married to Ben, Dan Quayle is president, and a 111-year-old Joseph Stalin is still running the Soviet Union and everything is on the verge of nuclear war. In fact, a siren goes off warning that an attack against the U.S. is imminent, 
Uh, Reed digs around, realizes that alternate Earth Reed was preparing for World War III and has a bunch of cool guns that our Reed gathers and distributes to the rest of the team. They fly off in the pogo plane ready to blast the launch nukes, and somehow that is the whole issue. You, you're far too cruel about this issue, but... Keep going for 344 and I'll come back and defend. Yeah, I think that sounds good. 344, Nuke Busters 2. Uh, everyone agrees it's not as good as Nuke Busters 1, but Peter McNichol is underrated. The FF blow up a bunch <laughs> of nukes. Reed convinces Quail not to retaliate. More nukes are blown up and the FF fly into Russia and sneak into Moscow after mentioning the Red Knights theme park north. There's a cute sequence where they sneak in, even though Sue can make things invisible. They detect a bunch of... Oh, they defeat a bunch of soldiers then fight Stalin in an enormous cybernetic battle tank suit that looks incredibly steampunk. The onomatopoeia in this issue is amazing and first rate, but the FF can't beat Stalin until Reed hits him with an EMP gun, revealing Stalin to be a robot. While the Russian army waits outside, ready to kill the FF, Stalin emerges, proclaims the FF heroes, turns over the country to Mikhail Gorbachev, and then appears to die. One of the commissars is pissed that Reed has reprogrammed Stalin to take the country out of their hands, but can't risk exposing their lie. Best of all, the Red Knights theme park people were the ones who built the Stalin animatronic figure used to fool everyone. Perhaps the FF is no longer being published, at least until today, is that they had a comic that openly said the Disney Corporation of an alternate Earth helped extend the Soviet Union's uh, artificial lifespan. In a creepy coda, Reed and Co. reboard the time sled to head back to their own world. We see the hand of alternate Reed holding up a report placed there by R. Ben Grimm about the feasibility of replacing our vice president with a Disney animatron. Exciting. Okay, I think you're you're being genuinely far too cruel for 343. I like, I really, really like, in fact, the extended... All four of them realize that they're in a different. Actually, five because because Sharon and Ben mm-hmm. is the thing. Right. Realize yeah. they are in an alternate universe independently of each other, and and I like the ways that they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it it actually is an interesting character beat for many of them, especially for Sharon, who basically realizes by being observant. Well, and honestly, if they'd left it at that, I think that would have been the part that I enjoyed. I feel like everyone else's various realizations. Um, just sort of. Well, the only one who I think gets shortchanged is Sue, because Sue realizes because she can't pick up Franklin because the powers who she left Franklin with no longer exist. Right. Like, so I feel that she is reduced to like literally the mother role. Reed is given exactly as much time as he needs, which is namely half a page, to go. Oh, the technology looks weird. But I like that Ben does not realize until he reads the sports reports. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think that's very funny, and I think it's visually interesting as well, especially because the panel after he realizes is literally Ben's leg yeah. as he runs out of panel. Yeah, like but... I, I think I, I think that's really interesting. I also like that Johnny realizes basically by listening to the TV mm-hmm. and being like, "Wait, Quail, <laughs> President Quail, that's strange." Um, so I, I really like that extended sequence. It's, it's what four or five pages, but it, it's, it's fun to me and I, and I think it, it it does say a lot about who Simonson thinks the characters are I, I disagree with your it goes on too long mm-hmm. uh, however then I'm not as enamored with the and then Alicia shows up and oh she's married to Ben but she thinks that Sharon is Ben right 
thing mm-hmm. that feels that feels like a waste of time mm-hmm. yeah uh, well it's another it's yeah really, it's basically three it full go, pages and it goes nowhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know which which that that feels a bit overblown but again once you get past those three pages this this issue picks up and and really does, does go it? like oh fuck it i think so i, I think there is nothing a, happens well, there is the nuclear threat, and then they activate to take care of the nuclear threat. They they take off in a plane. That's what I'm saying. It's 22 issues, 22 pages. The 22 best issue. 22 <laughs> issues. It felt like it. Uh, it's you know there there is. I have to. I absolutely adore a three page sequence that is the montage of the military forces uh, gearing up. You know where where Simonson brings it, it, it down. Lovely. Brilliant. Those three pages are really, really nice, especially the second and third where there it's yeah. a nine panel grid, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and a really nice use of the nine panel grid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I, I like that a lot. I like the and like the, the page before that of of Quail activating them. Yes, I think also works. But no, I like the. I like seeing how the FF responds to it. Again, I think it's an interesting character. I think it's full of interesting character moments. The read is very much like trying to do things by the book, whereas Ben is just frustrated. Again, Sue gets completely shortchanged. Mm-hmm. One of the things that comes through this issue in particular, with Simonson's run in general, is that Simonson has no idea what to do with Sue. Mm-hmm. Like, just cannot do anything with her short of and especially this issue give us shots where her crotch is in the foreground isn't that amazing i that shot and this is the thing again simonson is such a great visual storyteller and so like i i love that shot like you said that that one panel where you see ben's ben grimm's leg as he literally runs out of the, the panel with a newspaper scattering until you you know five pages later you get a scene where it looks like the rest of the ff are running out of sue's uh, vagina out of her dress into a laboratory you know where it's just it's so prominently placed it's just kind of awkward and, and it's it's very strange and and straight so strange that it's like like is this an in joke mm-hmm. or is this covering something up because especially that that panel you're talking about and we should put this in the show notes feels like like sue was pasted in over something yeah yeah because she's literally like over what would be the rest of the team mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. is there a bad drawing of sharon there that he was like fuck i'm just gonna paste sue's crotch over it yeah i, I don't know the the other thing graham is is and uh, i'll return to this as we get to some of the later issues is is that i don't think that 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 Simonson really knows what to do with the FF as the, they make sense to him as icons, but there is there's so little story movement going on here. The the closest that you can get to a story movement through most of the issues that we read is kind of Sharon's like I don't want to be a she thing. I want to be a woman now because I realize I love my man kind of thing, and I'm jealous of. Alicia, like in in this particular part, but Johnny is literally like, "Why can't I stop being obsessed over Nebula?" Which feels like a worse, a far worse and uh, beat than what we saw during his. Um... Oh, it's Engelhart. He's, yeah. he's redoing Engelhart's beats, and he's and as you say, he's redoing worse. I'm going to quasi agree, quasi disagree. I mm-hmm. think what this batch of issues in particular 
made me realize and I think is very illustrated by the last batch of issues we did and I just didn't realize it at the time mm-hmm. is that Simonson doesn't know what to do with the FF as a group yeah. as a unit I think he writes them all with the exception of Sue interestingly individually I think in particular his read is good his Ben is good and his Sharon is good well, I th- okay, I think his Sharon is good, which is interesting because she is arguably sort of the 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 newest character of the team, and the... she's also wildly out of character from the Engelhart. Right, exactly. Like but... wildly out of character, but she's still an entertaining character. She, yeah, and she's she still... has a personality. Right, a- absolutely. Uh, and I think I Reed think, is think as Reed well. Is and I sort yeah. of feel like the best thing that Simonson does is he makes like. Ben is human and non-neurotic, and it really is what works is the way that that has that feels like an earned momentum from everything that Englehart had sort of put that character through, and it makes sense. But by the same token, he's not going anywhere. It's just you know, it's a relief because we've had Ben Grimm's angst machine oh, exactly being... yeah ben ben has been the engine for the series since he returned to it yeah so by this point we're on three years of ben having been been the plot engine of the series exactly and it is nice to see him sort of fade into the background i also think simonson does a good ben because it's a simonson trope if mm-hmm. that makes sense like like simonson likes doing the bit of a tough guy kind of cynical about everything but when the chips are down you know he'll get the job done Right thing, I th- I think that comes across often in Simonson's writing, mm-hmm. but he like he does not know what to do with Sue at all. I uh, I mean and his Johnny is is like you said, sort of his beat for Johnny, his his plot for Johnny is the Crystal storyline, and yet less earned and less interesting. Yeah, exactly. So so I'm actually going to go out on a line and say because because one of the things you said in our previous uh, episode talking about Simonson is I feel that one of the things that for me is is interesting about the, the even these issues is the idea that Simonson is more or less what he's taken from the Lee Kirby run of the Fantastic Four is the way that Kirby used the book as a way to, to tell the kinds of stories that Kirby wanted to tell. You know? Yes, and I, I, I think I think that's totally right, especially in this batch of issues. Yeah. So so for me, what's what I find fascinating is the idea that Simonson is not especially interested in the FF as characters, and I don't really think he's especially interested in their um, them as really superheroes. Like their power set is. Uh, in the course of these issues, either rendered moot by the nuke-busting guns that are broken out in the issues or are just stripped from them in in a piece of arbitrary time-winky-wink arbitrariness, you know? Like, and, and in a way, I don't think that that's necessarily a problem other than the fact that it kind of weirdly is. Like, I spent a lot of time in my brain thinking... These issues, Nuke Busters and Nuke Busters 2 and the two issues that follow, if they had been Challengers of the Unknown issues, I would have loved them. You know what I mean? Which I think for me really means that the Challengers of the Unknown, which is sort of like the FF, 
sort of without powers, but also arguably without forward narrative momentum is kind of closer to what Simonson is doing. And again, oh, kind of I, like I, I was... I, I would agree with that as well. I think yeah. he is writing... Well, I mean, the, the challengers are not a million miles away from the FF. Exactly. It's squinted at in yep. the right light. Yep, yeah. And I think that Simonson is definitely more interested in writing that kind of book than writing a traditional FF book. Absolutely. If nothing else, all of the issues to date are... Um, science fiction stories and for this episode in particular like future shock stories like yes yeah future shock really came to mind to me for this actually that that the that the ff wander into Mm -hmm. and to be completely honest are in every respect and this goes for the last storyline as well the the time bubble storyline are kind of inept in Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm like the the in that sure enough they stop Galactus eating everything. R- sure, right. But they don't really solve any problem. They don't solve the problem that they set out to to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, Nukebusters, they they kind of solve it by accident. Yeah, like they blunder into a situation and blunder into a discovery. Mm-hmm. And then leave the situation. Nothing's actually really solved. The, the Mesozoic Mambo story that we're about to head into as well, they don't really solve anything because it's a, a ticking clock story. Right. They, they have to get out of uh, somewhere in a particular amount of time. And they do. But again, like Nukebusters, they are basically just surviving the situation they have blundered into. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's no... They set out on a mission and they complete the mission does not happen and doesn't happen until we get to the next batch of issues. These these stories really remind me of double size, you know, in the sense that they're two issues, but they're they're basically like Simonson doing what feels like DC Silver Age My Greatest Adventure issues. You know oh, what I interesting. mean? I, I, in both Nukebusters and the, the Mesozoic Mambo that we're about to head into, feel like annuals that have been split across two issues for me. Interesting. Right. It's, I think both of them would read better if they were one issue. Uh, I, th- I think that's arguably true as well. Although, again, like I said, I mean, and, and that's true, I think, particularly in the idea that, that annuals themselves are relatively... Um, the kind of filler for they're people. inert yeah you know I, I yeah they're inert unless you've got someone like Engelhart who's just gonna be like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna you know turn turn in like tie this all in and build it to a huge finale in my annual or like flip it back in or up the stakes most of it most of the time they're kind of inert they're kind of like being able to be told no matter what's happening in the story and and i would say that that is that is the these barely feel they feel like the world's best fill-in issues because you've got Walt Simonson the cartoonist and again kind of really doing an amazing job propping up Walt Simonson the writer who is uh who is who is witty um mm-hmm. but I feel is also perhaps not the list of things that he's not interested in doing with the book make it a very strange read for me, you know? And well, it, It's interesting that you say witty mm-hmm. because 
I think that he is a witty writer, and I think that his wit comes through, especially in the Nukebuster stories, much more so than in the previous run of stories, mm-hmm. because Nukebusters is, for all intents and purposes, like a joke. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a comedy story, mm-hmm. you know? You have robotic Stalin. You have Dan Quayle being the nightmare scenario for the U.S. as president. Right. And and there's there's a tongue in cheekness through the whole thing to the point where even when like I, as as in the start of three forty four, they're shooting down nukes. Yeah. To stop the world from being destroyed. Right. There is no real sense of jeopardy. It feels like a jape. It feels like a caper. Yeah. It does. I appreciate that much more than you do. I can tell that you you do not get anything out of this. Or not anything, but you do not get a lot out of this. This, this is the, the Lord Stakes mixed with the... I think Simonson isn't the most involved in in plot. Mm-hmm. I think... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, once we but get you know to I mean? the like, Metazoic Mambo, I mean... Well, that's just it. These four issues feel very much like coasting a shtick. Mm-hmm. You know, and in one sense, I can almost... Not that I can almost buy that, but it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because I see Simonson and and Ralph Macchio, the editor, both looking at it as, well, the time bubble story was our big epic, and so let's catch your breath for a few issues, and especially because after this they are, in theory, although they don't, going into the Doctor Doom storyline, mm-hmm. right? So so it makes sense, like you know, this is how we're going to structure things, right? But they're really like these are really plot light issues, mm-hmm. you know, so the, so they really are shtick. It really is comedy. Mm-hmm. And so wit matters, and the fact that Nukebusters, Nukebusters Two, are so witty and not even funny, but just like witty, wry, mm-hmm. they make you smile. Mm-hmm. is is great for me. I get a lot out of that, and and it, one of the things I like most about Simonson as a writer is his wit, mm-hmm. is his tongue in cheek nature, is his unwillingness to basically buy into the story's own stakes. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is, for people who don't buy into that, and I think you're one of them, you have a writer who is clearly refusing to buy into his story's own stakes. Well, and he's un- like he's underselling his own premise. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think there's multiple factors. I, I think you're right about a huge chunk of that, um, because I think my natural inclination is to go. Um, differently and it probably is like I tend to like my my you know I read a lot of Batman I clearly like my stuff like you know melodramatic and without without a lot of wit but but I think there's also just something to be said for having as someone who is sort of slowly managing to kind of change up his his taste again the appeal of something like a future shock or a 2000 AD story is is that it's brief you know what I mean? The whole brevity is the soul of these stories. I don't think are especially witty or I mean that they're witty, but, but part of what ends up robbing them of the wit is by being, by, by being two issues long, um, each, each of those storylines. And then we move into the three part art Adams one is, is that, they feel they to me they they it sort of sinks into a torpor like I, the wit totally gets um not totally it, but it gets at least to to no some small extent at least i think negated by um by by sort of the dragginess well i i think the the fact that it, i think if nukebusters was then followed up by something more substantial mm-hmm. nukebusters would pop up 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I think if the Mesozoic Mambo was not following Nukebusters, mm-hmm. it would pop more. I think if both of those stories were not followed by the new Fantastic Four story with Art Adams, mm-hmm. like that would pop more. Mm-hmm. You, you, the problem is that you have three stories that are that are sort of like all, you know, hey, fun, mm-hmm. um, one after another. Mm-hmm. Also following that that terrible villain. Right. Um, there really is a sense of like the book has become fill-ins by the regular creative team. Yeah, very much, very much so. Yeah, and I mean to you know, me, which, which is a problem. Uh, three forty-seven through three forty-nine is the one that that feels quote unquote the most fun, even though as I was so breaking a, it, that's out, interesting. Yeah, well, you know, I we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. So anyway, uh, one, yeah. one thing I want to say before we move away from these issues, mm-hmm. I feel we're speeding through these, by the way, Jeff. Yeah. Art Thilbert inking over Walt Simonson. Oh, God. Really made me appreciate Walt Simonson's inks. Oh, that's so funny. Whereas, you know, it's funny you say that. I actually, there was stuff in 344. Maybe it was the, maybe it was the coloring. Um, but I actually think that I overall preferred with with the exception of what I really think is a, a master class of comic book montage in that three pa- three page four page military sequence that closes out 343 I, I I think 344 I like the there's just something that it it, it just all clicks for me it almost feels like um it feels like Toth or something at some points. It just feels. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I think you're being <laughs> very kind. Yeah. Uh, very kind. One of the things that comes across for me is Dilbert is a much cleaner inker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's very obvious when Johnny flames on. Mm-hmm. That it, it's much bolder and more graphic. And it's funny that we say that around Simonson, who is like a graphic artist. Yeah. Like he he works in graphic shapes mm-hmm. um but dilbert has such a, a thickness of his line mm-hmm. that it works against the simonsonness of it for me wow there's there's really parts where the the line width and the line weight overwhelms the drawing if that makes sense. I, I guess it does. Although, honestly, I feel that perhaps for me, part of what I like about, to to me, and maybe it's me deeply misunderstanding Simonson's work, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, in some cases, it helps feel more Simonson-y to me because it makes, it makes the, it makes the, it makes things look cartoonier. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't, I don't think that, um, and that, and maybe that's my thing. I like Simonson most when some of his work really pushes the um, the contrast between thick blacks on the page and then sort of the delicate line work. If it's if it's too if there's too much um, sort of visual filigree, I, I find that's the, that's the stuff in Simonson that I end up finding myself being kind of uninterested in. So there's just, that, that's interesting because I feel that there's less of that contrast in, in Thilbert's inks. Uh, I, I feel that thing, Thilbert, 
I feel the difference between Thilbert and Simonson as inkers over Simonson's pencils mm-hmm. is that Simonson is more willing to not ink every line. Mm. And I feel that Thilbert is inking every line and also is doing so with such uh, weight and width mm-hmm. that it it just doesn't work. Like it, it looks like someone trying to draw like Walt Simonson mm-hmm. as opposed to Walt Simonson. Mm. That that uh, that is interesting. I could, I could, I can see that, but um, but yeah, um, we'll just have to be like chalk it up to the differences between you and me, and or I think probably you being right, and um, and you know at least at least in Nuke Busters too, I just wasn't, I don't know. I I wasn't I thought I thought if I, I wasn't bored and but I think that also helps yeah, you, that there's you, a vis- lot of visually bored or, or yeah visually bored I mean well with the story too again like I think there's some nice touches to three forty three like you said but it just there's so little happens there like honestly it's like if I had to count the stuff that sort of visually also turned my crank in three forty three um, I think it would really lose uh, out to the stuff that's going on in 344 uh storytelling wise so it's but. what the other thing this also might come from um i told you before that i was buying these issues as they came out in 1990 right um and i remember being like actually disappointed in mm. seeing silver ink 344 mm-hmm. and what was particularly interesting about that was and i might be getting my timing mixed up but i want to say silver was inking dan jurgen's superman at the time hmm or I, I think it was his Adventures of Superman. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. And I loved his inks over Dan Jurgens. Mm-hmm. Loved him. Mm-hmm. To the point where when, when Thurble leaves that book and Brett Breeding came on, I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, this is this is a disaster. This is a disaster for Dan Jurgens' art. It's It looks terrible now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Thilbert was still really brought something else. But what's interesting is looking at that, the Jurgens' work now. Mm-hmm. Silbert is doing exactly the same to Dan Jurgens as he's doing to Simonson here. Hmm. Uh, it's a very thick line. It's a very much um, rendering every line, hmm. uh, not having so many solid blacks. And now I look at it, I'm like, oh no, Brett Breeding was much better in Jurgens. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe I maybe I just don't like Silbert's things. Maybe, maybe that that could be that could be. Um, or again, it's that kind of thing of, uh, maybe in that sense, he's sort of a traditional inker that someone like me with, you know, not as strong, uh, a visual, um, palette is more likely to be a sucker for. So, uh, Graham, do you want to recap 345 and 346? 345 mm-hmm. is the Mesozoic Mambo, or Fantastic Four No More, as it says in the cover. You can tell that Walter Simonson is, again, just indulging himself because the cover just shows it's fucking dinosaurs, everyone. Yeah. As if the title of the Mesozoic Mambo would not give it away as well. The FF on their uh, time sled are continuing to try and get home, and they, they hit turbulence, space turbulence, time turbulence, and crash land on an unknown location where they run into soldiers who are somewhat shocked to see them. Equally shocking, the FF have lost their powers. Equally, equally shocking, there's fucking dinosaurs just roaring around and eating everyone. Yes. We have a great scene, and it is 
for me, a great scene, I'm sure you'll disagree, where Reed just, like, grabs the gun and is like, fucking shoot the dinosaurs! <laughs> I'm a man of science! Fucking shoot this! Is that a gun? Fucking shoot the dinosaurs! And then Ben, because he has a magic, like, Mary Poppins suitcase, yeah. pulls out his magic gun, which of course works, because it's technology and not... It's whatever is supposed to be powering the Fantastic Four that isn't powering them anymore. Yeah, it's it's very much a don't ask, just buy it situation. Oh yes, uh, his magic gun works. Meanwhile, the FF's powers don't, which means Sharon has turned back from Thing into beautiful Sharon. Long-time readers of the FF or listeners of the Baxter Building might remember Sharon was really happy to be a thing, really happy not to be a woman. She did not like her body. Her body had been abused. Her body had been victimized. And she did not like being a thing. Fuck that! That's not the case anymore. (laughs) Now she's just so happy to be uh, human again because now she can be beautiful for her man. That also horrifically out of character from Megalheart Run. Mm -hmm. But roll with it again. Just keep going. The FF make it uh, with the soldiers, make it to the edge of the island and go, oh, it's it's definitely an island. Look, there's some more dinosaurs. What are you going to do? Uh-huh. And as the dinosaurs attack and there's more shooting, because of course there's more shooting, Ben gets out his thing suit, which again fits into a suitcase and yet somehow is full-size armor of the thing. Uh, beats up some dinosaurs. And then, as they're wandering around, going, we are beat-up dinosaurs, they discover the island's falling apart! Oh, shit! What you gonna do? (laughs) That's 3.45, everyone. Well done. Jeff, I think it's fair to say that this is... uh, The strength of this issue is the visuals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yes, I mean, no, Graham. I would have to say that it's the characterization and the deep plotting. I was going to say, I'm not saying the visuals are wonderful, although it's Simonson. Again, how wrong can you go? Right. You know, Simonson, we both agree, Simonson is a really great cartoonist. Mm -hmm. And so it looks great, Mm -hmm. but the writing is slight on Mm -hmm. this one. Yeah. As I'm... As I'm leafing through the issue, I just I going, you know, Simonson's art is great. Not only does it have a really great splash page, mm-hmm. um, the second panel on the second page is fucking lovely. Oh, the one where it's, it's the sled right zooping down, down into yes. the mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. is lovely. It's yeah. so so nice. But it's it's an art issue, uh, and and this is kind of a problem because the other two issues weren't art issues, mm-hmm. but we are on our third issue of a row of. The feeling that Simonson is kind of phoning in the writing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I mean, because there is the 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 conclusion, the conclusions that they jump to really sort of make no sense. There's so much, like you said, don't ask, just buy it. There's just a, a huge amount of, um, because I say so on the part of the author. It seems well, very odd the, that the, the entire soldiers in general yeah. is very much a say so yeah exactly exactly so you know the fact that they're kind of like oh you're the ff you you know basically a they don't think that they're the ff and they're more or less willing to like pump them full of lead when like not one of them would appear looks to be armed in that opening sequence i don't know i mean again this is just this is just me kvetching because part of me is like yeah the the simonson art is great um 
I I like the ways that he goes about breaking stuff down on the page. I'll tell you one thing that I love is the body language in this issue uh, is fabulous. Again, I feel like <laughs> like with this and Nuke Busters, I feel like Walt Simonson's like, yeah, I'm doing the FF, but I really want to draw a story where people fire guns. How can I figure out ways to? I just love drawing people holding guns, and I gotta say that's interesting. I was gonna say like he really wants to draw a war comic because yeah. the flashback about how the soldiers get there in the islands is again, yeah, has some lovely bit bits in it. Yeah, exactly. He kind of wants to be doing like I don't know, a a, a a Top Gun licensed comic more than the FF. But so some of the shots of people holding guns is like. That Reed grabbing the rifle and being like, just start shooting the dinosaur. Like, that's a great posture. I love, there's a panel that pops up uh, toward the end where it's um, the top of, I guess it's page 23 in the GIT comics, where where Sherry is um, squatting and firing a gun. And that meanwhile, there's soldiers in the background gunning down the dinosaurs right before Johnny's like, oh, I know, a burning stick. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna work. <laughs> it really was just like, huh? The, anyway, but I, I like I, 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 I love the body posture of it. I loved that the commander was stern without being an asshole and was a person of color. That there, there looked to be multiple people of color in the in the story and i like the fact that despite despite whatever weird reason of like oh we're on a planet you know an island with dinosaurs but you know we clearly have to hold guns on on fantastic four cosplayers because christ only knows what they're up to all that aside i do i do kind of like the fact that the soldiers are kind of like why should we trust you and the idea of like you don't have the your powers and therefore you're kind of a burden and we find you kind of annoying you know is is fun like it's it's not it's not a horrible comic because of course again you got you got simonson drawing it but i mean it's 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 so slight it's so slight it's so slight i i want to say again there's moments of uh, wit, maybe wit? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Right. Uh, for example, I'm very amused that Sue complains to Reed that when she couldn't see him, she was worried. Mm-hmm. Like the invisible woman saying that is funny. That is pretty funny. You know, and that on the same page where as Ben has been like, I can't flame on, but I will swing a fucking flaming piece of wood around the place. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, there is a level of playfulness about the. Oh, the FF has all the powers. Can I play in this a bit? Mm-hmm. But again, you're right. He's he is. Uh, he's seeming very disinterested in the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he takes away their powers, and so you have it, this. This story would actually be better if they were Fantastic Four cosplayers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it kind of would be actually. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. For all the credit I've been giving Simonson for his characterization of Sharon, mm-hmm. it, like the Sharon here is is terrible. Yeah, um, because it really is. There's what is one thing to go. Oh, I'm kind of you know I'm quasi ignoring Engelhart's run, mm-hmm. but Sharon here is unrecognizable as Sharon. Yeah, yeah, because she really is. 
oh, I just, like, I'll happily stay in the islands with the dinosaurs forever if it means I can be a woman for my man. Right. Which, what? Right. Where, where did this come from? Yeah. Like, what the hell? And the fact that no one is like, well, this is unusual. <laughs> right. No, very much so. Because I think in a way, it's sort of Simonson at this particular point, because I do think that it's interesting. Simonson did not have to give Ben the the exoskeleton, the thing exoskeleton suit. In fact, I, as I recall, in the, the, the Galactus time bubble storyline, it never gets broken out. Ben is basically dude with a trench coat and a hat and for the entire time and cool guns and yeah. I I do kind of have that wait, feeling wait no does, does it not get broken out at one point when they go down to the base oh maybe they do maybe it does yeah maybe it does where he pops out I think you're right but yeah. but considering out of like you know three entire exactly issues, I, 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 out of five issues it gets yeah. broken out once yeah, yeah. so I, I kind of get the idea that, that Simonson I think Simonson might have had this moment of like oh I wanted to do an FF comic no wait I kind of wanted to do a thing comic he clearly loves as as well he should he clearly loves drawing the thing and he actually enjoys drawing Sherry in that sense as the she thing. Once, so I I feel like the idea of Ben goes back in time, gains his humanity back, and doesn't want to return to the present is kind of classic FF trope one hundred one. Sure. And I sure. feel like Simonson's like I just. I just got to do it. I got to play that riff, um, even though it means like I'm going to put that riff on Sherry, you know, and it's not going to make sense for her character. Uh, and I get to I also get to, to draw Ben Grimm as much as I want. I don't know. Again, part of me is like, like you said, it's it's pretty it's a pretty bad take for Sherry. And it's a shame because honestly, Simonson. Uh, up until this point, has done a, a much better job treating Sherry as an equal member of the team, more or less not by really saying anything other than just having her be... Um, competent. Co yeah, competent in 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 regular expected ways. The fact that Sherry and, is... And also, Sherry contributes mm -hmm. more to the team and to the book like to the actual plots yeah in the first couple of simonson stories mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then she is reduced to i mean there's literally a scene where she's hugging ben in the thing suit going ben you've saved us yes yeah and it's just like it's not only at odds with everything we know about sharon up to this point it's at odds with his own take on shari yeah in earlier issues yeah yeah i agree so it's... You know, and so so it really is super disappointing. Mm -hmm. But again, the issue looks great. Mm -hmm. the The last page of this issue, Jeff, is wonderful. Oh, with the island falling the, the apart. Show with the islands and uh -huh. the, the water. Like that's just a lovely looking page. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, we also get back to the Simonson. Really, uh, his art really sings when there aren't people in it. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something about his scene setting. And also, I think that this speaks to the what we liked about the in the Nukebuster story, the, the panel about going to war. Mm -hmm. And in this story, the flashback about how the soldiers got there. Yes. It is, for the most part, like 
personless. Mm -hmm. When you see people, they're in helmets. You don't see their features. Right. Uh, and when he can dehumanize people or just do away with them altogether, mm -hmm. there's something about Simonson's art that really does just completely shine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that flashback page has so many wonderful ticks and bits. Like you said, the, the fact that the, you see those guys with their little jet helmets, even the, the way that he has the showing the, the guys like bailing out of the plane, like he frames them from behind and in the dark and with their features missing like it and but it but it still works and again i think in part because the the military milieu really meets simonson's particular sets of predilections you know in terms of his 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 eye for technical detail and his eye for when that detail should go abstract like there's just tremendous amounts of knowledge and and understanding in it that's great and i can get why he you know it really does it it does it does sing but but again it sort of is it feels it feels squirreled in into a book that's sort of supposed to be about something else again i had to remind myself perpetually how much jack kirby in the last 30, 20 30 issues of the ff is was clearly being just like fuck it i'm going to tell the stories that i want to tell you know and we'll figure out how the ff get in there one way or another so something that is interesting is 345 is slight 346 is more slight <laughs> yes 346 manages to go well maybe we put too much story in 345 <laughs> what if we literally just turn it into a how quickly can they get off the island oh not quickly enough occasionally there'll be a chase with a dinosaur oh they're building a raft mm -hmm. what is interesting besides the fact that when they do get off the island it like basically it all happens relatively easily mm -hmm. like if you set up your how are they going to go off the island as, as the very start of the issue. You expect more things to happen to complicate it. Mm -hmm. And really, with the exception of a Tyrannosaurus Rex attacks, and there is, for no majorly apparent reason, a like force field around the island mm -hmm. that then disappears mm -hmm. because the Pendrim punches it a lot, there is, there's nothing to stop them. Yeah. Well, I mean, th like, th th there's... Sorry, to me, there's just such a weird, like, again, when you see the island disappearing at the end of 345, it's kind of not disappearing into the void. No, it, it, it just be... stops. It yeah. looks like it's collapsed. It looks yeah. like it's collapsed and, into and the ocean. Fair. Mm -hmm. 346 is where they introduce the disappearing into the void conceit. Mm -hmm. The second page of this is where, out of nowhere... Simonson goes, oh, there's a ticking bomb aspect because the parts of the island are literally out of sync with in time. Mm -hmm. And we have to get off all of the islands because shit's going to happen. Right. I mean, I there's, there's also a volcano that explodes that literally goes nowhere as well. Mm -hmm. on, on page three, volcano explodes, and you think that might be a plot point. It's not. Yeah, no, it's not. But there is the, there, it, it is just the, it is just, 
sloppy storytelling, indifferent storytelling, like delightfully blase storytelling. There's no reason that the whole idea of like them like building a raft, I can see it's like they're going to survive the island disappearing, I guess. Although I don't know why they wouldn't think they're the 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 logs wouldn't also disappear as they later well, again, end up doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, it it's 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 and I it's sort of it's nonsensical, but there's also a little too much of everyone is working with a purpose for for something that just doesn't you don't understand how they got there. And there is no there's nothing to understand. So I don't know. Again, it's that deal of it's a it's a it's a good thing that it's being drawn by Walt Simonson, you know? <laughs> the the other thing that's really interesting is that it's a story that works on tension. Yeah. How are how are our heroes going to do this? And are our heroes going to do this? Yeah. And as early as the third page, mm-hmm. Ben undercuts all of that mm-hmm. by telling the soldier who is scared, "Oh, we're the Fantastic Four. Of course, we're going to get out all right." Yeah. Which, on one hand, works as a character moment. Mm-hmm. But also destroys the story because, of course, he's right. Mm-hmm. You know, like it literally reminds the reader on the third page of the issue. Yeah, of course they're going to be fine. Well, they're the title characters of the book. Right, right. And so everything else, there is no tension. Well, I feel like Simonson kind of bungles that a little bit because the because the soldier says back to him like, "Yeah, well, you've lost your powers. You're no better than the rest of us. How can you help?" And Grim Ben replies, "We were never any better, kid. Only different, and and that, of course, is in theory supposed to be like what we're supposed to be watching in in this issue is that the dep- the depowered Fantastic Four are still a match for you know are still heroes in any circumstance. Yeah, yeah, any circumstances, they're still going to their heroism, their can-do abilities, and et cetera, et cetera." Are, that it's going to make them excel, and and part of the problem is is that a kind of like you said it's undercut by it's the FF. B we are you know three hundred and forty six issues into a comic where more often than not the biggest superpower in the issue is Reed Richards's Reed Richards brain power you know Deus Ex Machina powers, and 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 frankly nobody really does that much again except for reed ben and sherry johnny and sue are sue does nothing nothing in in this issue or the previous issue johnny doesn't either i mean he sort of does in the but like the here i'm gonna jump up and hit him with a torch kind of thing like you said it's sort of witty but like here he doesn't do anything other than like oh i will co-jab with a spear you know and that is and i will wonder why i'm still horny for nebula and that is <laughs> that's it yeah so yeah. i mean and so there is something that's well, kind there, of there's, like there's something else that undercuts the uh, ben's assertion which is he has a fucking thing suit yes he does He's got a he's got a like, thing suit it, it, and a it, rocket the, launcher gun. Yeah, yeah. The whole well, he doesn't have the rocket launcher gun anymore because Sue uh, threw oh, it away. Right. That's right. In the previous it issue, ran out she of threw it at it. She threw she it. She threw it at it. Yeah. But it's one thing to be like, "Oh, you guys, how are we going to do it? None of us have our powers." And then a page later, to have Ben 
punching a T-Rex in his fucking thing outfit. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, just be coherent. Like, just stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's... But, you know, again, it's kind of... Uh, that's it's that's all excuses. That's all excuses for Simonson being like, I basically want to draw a DC dinosaur but, island story, right? I know that yeah. This this is well, it, especially considering Reed is now wearing army fatigues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, take Ben out of this story. Yeah, I yeah. do have a dinosaur island story. Yeah, completely, completely, and so and so. There's a way in which everything else is sort of just of uh, yeah i don't know it's 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 all kind of dismissive in a, in a way that i really do think if we were dealing with a lesser creator than uh simonson it would feel oh if if simonson was not drawing this like if this was ron lim or, or rich buckler who mm-hmm. did the, the initial simonson written three-parter mm-hmm. you and i would be just insanely upset about it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know, where we really we would be tearing it apart because there is no real writing here, and honestly, there's not even that much of the wit of the previous issue. Yeah, there, there, almost everything is subsumed to what I guess Simonson thinks is the ticking clock aspect, mm-hmm. but the ticking clock aspect it feels entirely artificial. Oh yeah, you know, it only really comes in. At the start, when Sharon's like, oh, have you noticed that maybe we're traveling through time? And then when Sharon was running away from the T-Rex and something weird happens out of the blue. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, that's right. They're, they're running away. There's a reason for this. Right. It, it's it's really, you know, it, it's it's kind of, the writing isn't there even. Yeah. No, it's not. In fact, I, I think, honestly, someone who who's, who is a... A better person than me and it could well be you but it could well be someone else I think looking at this issue and maybe the issue before but particularly 346 has a um, it's almost like a Steven Spielberg movie it 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 works strictly from the technical command of the medium you know someone here looking at this could see could break down how Simonson pieces the story to generate tension and that sense of a ticking clock with nothing more than the way that he sort of compresses and uncompresses his panel layouts on a page, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and how he creates those, those moments of tension and power. And because he's so excellent at designing for the page as well. But, um, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, these these were the issues like uh, part of the reason why I gave up on writing the synopsis after the first three is at least I felt they could be synopsized you know they, these really were like stuff happens because Walt kind of wants to draw stuff happening and then <laughs> well which is I mean really is the case especially by the time you get to the final third of this and they're sailing away and all of a sudden they hit a wall mm-hmm. and Reed's like oh that's right it's the end of the time barrier. And it makes, I mean, literally makes no sense. Yeah. There's a wall there so that a, a giant prehistoric shark fish thing mm-hmm. can try and eat them until 
until he gets blown up. They right. blow up his head, bizarrely. Yeah. And then there's a hole in the time barrier. Yeah. Again, what? Like, it makes it, it is not coherent. Yeah. Part of me, it's funny you said um, Spielberg, and part of me was like, well, it, it really does feel like a Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Why was Pacific, uh, not Pacific Rim, uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. I had that same moment of like, this really reminds me of someone who walks out amped out of Jurassic Park, in part because of how the T-Rexes look and the dinosaurs look. Um, and this Park is... was 93, so this is three years before Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah, exactly. So, um, also I do have to say that for myself, I could be particularly down on these issues because my beloved Skull the Slayer is all about military dudes and dinosaurs and and they could have at least like half-assedly knotted that together if they'd been so inclined but there's not even that going on which is fine I it's I don't want that to be anyone to be take have their takeaway be like Jeff's such a nut for Skull the Slayer that you know well, I mean but it, you, you are well sure uh, but I want them I, for the right reasons which is I make my wife dress up like Skull the Slayer not because I didn't like this not particularly good issue in the Fantastic Four by Walt Simonson I want to throw this out as well is it just me or do you think that um, Art Thilbert or someone else is coming in the inking of the last few pages uh, that would make sense to me I just I don't quite know but yeah, yeah. I want to say maybe the last three. Yeah, that that would make there is a lot there is someone else inking, especially yeah. that last page and last scene between Ben and Sharon. Feels weirdly heavy-handed inks in a way that Simonson doesn't, unless of course Simonson is just super rushed and well, like see Fuck that's it. it. Yeah, I honestly feel that Simonson his his self himself is actually running out of time. Uh, by the time that he gets to this, because it's I I think that's that's very true, especially when you consider the next few issues, which are let's let's just go on to them, Jeff. Yes, three four seven three four three four nine are the quote unquote new Fantastic Four trilogy called Big Trouble on Little Earth, where monsters dwell, or is it where creatures roam? I love that title so much. Yes, I know. Uh, and three four nine is eggs got legs. They are all written by Simonson, but they are all drawn by Art Adams. That's right. Because Walt Simonson's deadline problems apparently had continued. Uh, three four seven also has a cover tagline that says the world's goofiest comic magazine. Yes. And yeah. Well, four, did you want to cover all eight, the? Yeah. Yeah. Three four eight, the world's most commercialist comic magazine, and three four nine is the world's most collectible comic magazine. I do like it when they do the, they, they change the cover tagline. Yes. Um, Did you want to catch I, the ones? Well, that, Cause there's one in three forty five. Oh, just three forty. Yeah. Three forty five is prehistory's greatest comic magazine. Oh my God. See, yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. I thought you were going to ask me if I wanted to do a plot synopsis. And I was going to say, as I told you before we started recording properly, I cannot remember what happens in these stories. And I read these stories a lot. And there is something about this three-parter that makes me not remember what happens in it. I totally get it. I'm going to give it a shot. I'll try and do the overarching thing and then maybe fill in some of the details. But essentially, um, the story opens with a an escape shuttle being um, crash landing on Earth and a mysterious woman who uh, 
basically says, I'm marooned, but I'm alive. And those whose betrayal forced me here will live to suffer for it. So, you know, she's clearly awesome. In fact, it turns out her name <laughs> is Delilah uh, or D-E apostrophe. My, my, Lila. my. I do love that she's called Delilah. Yeah, I, I think that that's pretty funny. She is she is on the run from the Scroll Empire. Um, and in fact, the Scrolls have gunned down her ship and are trying to catch her before on Earth before she gets a hold of some crazy MacGuffin that we don't find about find out about. Uh, Delilah shows up at uh, the Four Freedoms Plaza and proceeds to basically use a combination of shape-shifting and a, a nasty little uh, neural thingamabob on her hand to subdue all the members of the FF uh, and has the most troubles actually with Reed before ultimately keeping uh, Sue Richards' form and as Sue uh, ends up um, summoning the new FF for specific figures who are that she needs quite specifically to help her retrieve her mysterious MacGuffin. Those four are um, the Hulk from his uh, Joe Fix-It, I'm talking and I'm wearing suits and I'm surly days, Wolverine from his <laughs> primo, uh, I like walking around with a hat on my head, lighting cigarettes and calling people bub. Spider-Man in his, hey, I'm still selling comics and therefore I get to be in the club. And Ghost Rider, who um, everyone, as far as I can tell, uh, Walt Simonson barely knows what to do with or how to write, but is also aware that he sells, but at least Art Adams knows how to draw him. Delilah, in the form of Sue, manages to convince these figures, um, one of whom can, you know, smell the differences in people, one of whom has spider sense, and one of whom has the supernatural power to see into people's souls, and yet all are hoodwinked by her presenting the bodies of the FF that she insists have been killed. Uh, and she basically needs uh, them to take her subphotonic sub spectral analyzer and track down the uh, basically the energy that is driving monsters insane. I'll back up to that. And the assassins of the FF are to be found there. So they vow that they will take the thingamabob and go hunt down the assassins. But really what they're doing is her dirty work. Meanwhile, the scrolls who have arrived who, in pursuit of her are drawn to Mole Man's Monster Island by a significant, a lot of um, brainwave activity that they find incredibly uh, familiar uh, and similar to scrolls. And basically end up on Monster Island to see Art Adams draw an Art Adams staple. And in fact, honestly, the cartooning of Art Adams is delightful for him drawing both the scrolls, the giant monsters. And then when the Mole Man gets involved, because the Mole Man is pissed that a bunch of aliens have more or less kidnapped and hypnotized the monsters on Monster Island and have unleashed them on the world with the idea of drawing out Delilah. That's issue 347 issue yes. 348 uh where monsters dwell or is it where creatures roam which is wonderful starts off with the new ff in the new ff mobile which is um 
uh, I don't know, incredibly toyetic, and which is to say kind of dull if it wasn't for the fact that you literally have people drawn such that people have to sit more or less nestled inside each other's crotch to be able to fly around on this vehicle. Um, Delilah, in, in the act of trying to dig through the databases to find the MacGuffin, gets impatient and realizes the best thing that she can do is rouse the hunky Reed Richards, which she has made noises about, like in the cut of his jib in the previous issue, and threatening him with destroying his family if he, uh, he does not help her. Um, I love that she does that, and then Reed immediately is like, oh, and she's also a telepath. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Which is interesting that he makes to that conclusion, and it's a good thing that he does because he basically... Unfortunately, does anything she does, she wants after this. Yes, but also makes it a point with lots of thought balloons saying like, wow, she's just like Susan, except really sexy and hot. And boy, I can't wait to, wow, I don't know what it is about her, but I find her incredibly exciting. Which, you know, for us, the reader, I think we probably would be more fooled if Reed hadn't been on the previous page like, oh, she's a telepath. Uh, the new FF end up fighting a monster that is on top of a jetliner. Uh, and the way they do it is, depending on who you ask, um, either interesting or if you ask me, it's meh. Um, but it, it all I mean, looks it's, pretty. It's, it's, it's meh. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. You're like, it looks pretty. Does it? It kind of like, does. I find, art, I find this issue in particular, like, Art Adams' art looks just not as good as I expect from him. It looks overly busy. The layouts seem kind of boring. Uh, and the the character acting seems mm. very um, sort of spare for Adams, I guess. Mm. I also think his characters have more character, if you will, than, than they do here. Yeah, it. it th- I mean, I suppose that could be. I, I, I see your point. Like I said, I don't find the action scene particularly uh, exciting. I find it kind of kind of dull. There's a lot more... Um, Art's having a lot more fun drawing the Mole Man, for example, or the scrolls. Uh, Reed, hilariously enough, seems to... It, spending some time, uh, thinks that he has uncovered the MacGuffin, which, and I quote... Some campers in the Catskill Mountains reported seeing a flying saucer matching your description that was grabbed by a Bigfoot and carried off into a great tunnel under the mountains, which was subsequently covered by an avalanche. It's from the Inquirer, which doesn't necessarily enhance its credibility, but the avalanche was genuine. The the idea that, that Reed refers to it as a Bigfoot for some reason, everything about that is just goofy and dumb and let's face it it's I, a, I like that it is it's funny um you get to see the new ff uh fight a big monster in a way that's more comedic uh than interesting uh you end up having them uncover the scrolls that have infiltrated uh the mole man's kingdom uh and just as by whipping out the subphotonic hubelotzer uh spectro analyzer um, the scrolls are able to point out that that's one of theirs and whoever gave it to him is actually the big jerk. Uh, at that point, said big jerk, Delilah, still disguised as Sue, shows up on Reed Richards' little flying bicycle with Reed 
and it looks like things are going to come to blows as the Hulk is like, seeing as we already saw Richard's dead body, it looks like you're going to get your wish, you scummy scroll, after Reed does the uh, ever-popular, the only way to you'll get to her is over my dead body. This brings us to Eggs Got Legs, which is a huge sort of showdown slash, I don't know, superhero French farce where you've got nine million uh, moloids, the mole man, the heroes, and the scrolls for like a loaded showdown. Uh, Delilah outs herself not as Sue, but as in uh, as hot scroll woman. As, as weirdly leather jacket wearing a yeah. scroll woman. Yeah. Yep. Like it's it's so strange. Yeah. I, I'm uh, sure someone somewhere was really excited by that there. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something about the way that Delilah looks that I'm like, that's some like someone somewhere is like, I have always wanted, you know, a busty, un like unreasonably small waisted, pointy eared green woman in a leather jacket. That's right. And 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 that 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 person or people would go on to found image comics. So, uh, yeah. Rob life. I was just saying, yeah, indeed, at least. <laughs> so, uh, Delilah and Reed somehow managed to escape in a way that I find kind of surprising. I guess we all find surprising, but it needs to go on for like three issues. Uh, this is where my powers, this is where things get really dull no, for me. That, that, this is just that like, mm -hmm. Honestly, things get dull for me as soon as the quote-unquote new FF show up. Yeah. 348 is pretty much a, oh, look, while they are fighting monsters, Reed is, like, playing for time. And we're like, oh, it's all about a spaceship, or is it? Yeah. And then you get to, to 349, which is just overly complicated in a way that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Delilah reveals herself and then later goes back into pretending to be Sue Storm for some reason. Mm -hmm. For And Reed's like, I'm in love with you anyway. I know you're not my wife. You're clearly an alien. And yet you look like my wife. What? Meanwhile, the real FF have all been like tied up, just randomly tied up. And then they're just discovered by Franklin. Yeah. Yep. Like it's 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 all actually he's he's not it uh, that we're skipping over prime point. When Reed leaves the Baxter building, he ends up telling Roberta that everything's okay and he's like and you can tell, you know, considering the military situation outside, you can tell that to my friends the Marines and uh I she's like, I concluded the phrase meant something special as I have no friends in the Marines. Therefore, I referenced it and then learned as a colloquial expression, it means whatever the speaker is saying is untrue, which was news to me. I got to say, as someone <laughs> yeah, who read these again, original comics, I'm like, huh. So that's what tell it, it to it, the Marines meant. Hmm. I'm actually going to look it up. Yeah. But anyway, so she's the one who suspects something's wrong, gets Franklin, um... And and is the one who locates them and puts Franklin to task. To, to it's to... totally true. Oh wow! And it comes from 1804. Yeah. Wow. 1804 mm -hmm. from the Royal Britain's Royal Marines. Oh, interesting. It's a Brit yep. expression. Yep. You may tell that to the Marines. May I be dead if the sailors believe it. Interesting. Wow. So thanks, yeah. Walt Simonson, for teaching us something in this otherwise pointless. It is a farce. You're right. It's 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 a farce. Yeah, 
It is. It's very much, it's people running around, bopping in and out of stuff with people with sort of kind of shifting. It's a, a, a farce or a caper, you know, it's, it's, it's a mad, 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 mad world with the mole men, you know, Marvel's top selling characters uh, and, and, you know, a hot scroll chick who looks like uh, evil Sue Storm most of the time. So it ends up as you would expect with, uh, you know, the MacGuffin, Launch, you know, which is in fact an egg that can launch the super scroll soldier that we've never really heard mentioned or talked about before. It launches, manages to imprint on one of the mole man's monsters, uh, and basically all's well that ends well, in part because Reed is able to gain Delilah's trust uh, enough to basically. Um, swipe her disruptor when she's not looking and actually punches her out which is kind of funny <laughs> well he he also gets his powers back she gives him his powers back yes so here's the thing graham honestly for me one of the things that i half appreciate i appreciate about these issues is that there's you know you got the mole man and the scrolls in there in fact interestingly enough there's a part that that Simonson hints at that I think is a great idea that never really ends up emerging, which is the idea that the the monsters of Monster Island are scrolls that have forgotten that they're scrolls, sort of the same way that the cows at the end of FF3 were scrolls that have been hypnotized into believing that they are cows. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it never really goes anywhere it never as far as i can tell it doesn't get played out similarly reed makes makes a mention to the idea that the all of the mole man's tunnels may in fact be the tunnels created by the deviants um from jack kirby's eternals again kind of fun sort of semi grunwaldian dot connecting that that's from this era of marvel uh and part of me was like ah, at least he's sort of paying some attention you know and i like art adams work more than you do so i i find it really uneven mm -hmm. I, I it is very it, uneven. especially in this last issue where there's yes. at least two anchors because definitely the last like four or five pages especially the page where uh, reed punches out delilah Mm -hmm. It's clearly a different inker yeah. from earlier in the issue. It, it may be a different... Or maybe a different penciler. Well, yeah. There, there's a, yeah, there's a penciling assist. Penciling assist by Gracing Tanaka in like issues 348 and 349. So there's there's points where you're like, who knows what parts she ended up doing and which parts she didn't. So there's parts that I actually really kind of enjoy about this. Precisely in the way that, that the, you know, it, it's sad to think that I like these issues more than the four that, that came before it because they're sort of t playing off of FF continuity and then, and thus quote unquote matter. But I hope it's not that. Although again, there's weird choices here. Like how many times it, it, this is all weird choices. For mm -hmm. me. Like uh, yeah. this, this entire, it's, it it's, like I jumped off the book when this was being released originally. Oh, interesting. Because I was like, this just seems like I pretty much threw it in my hands. This just seems ridiculous. <laughs> For some reason, like I fucking stayed on through the fucking dinosaur story. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, no, I get but, it. But yeah. the three forty-eight, I was just like, I like, I just don't care. Yeah, 
No, I, I and I do get it, but I because that's my thing. On top of all this other stuff, like re, the first time I read this through, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And the second time I reread it through, I'm like, this stuff is really empty. But of course, I found all the previous stuff empty as well. Um, I just sort of thought that, I don't know, for whatever reasons. But but to return to my questions, like, you know, we have yet again another alien mind-controlling hot chick like right we we have yet again sue is the uh, someone is trying to get to read through sue yeah you know it's just it's part of me is like i guess they they didn't make her didn't genuinely make her nebula in in because they were going with this direction and i think in fact part of the early um, the way everything's crafted, you're supposed to have to think that it is Nebula, I believe, when she first shows up on the scene before they they oh, but, turn before things they around of, on us. Yeah, because she, cause she disguised herself as Nebula to say exactly. Johnny. Yep, exactly, to freak him out, which seems to work. But it again, it just unfortunately kind of underscores this weird thing of... Um, you know, Walt Simonson as a guy digging through his notes, trying to remember what his FF plot is. And he's like, uh, right. Well, there's an alien hot chick who's manipulating the team. Uh, and the team is being separated. And, uh, uh, Reed does some stuff. Um, and, oh, and I've got a great panoply of guest stars. Like, again, this is the other thing. This is, this is just 10 issues, I guess. It's not even a year after. I mean, if you if these issues came out monthly, which they may not have. They did not. They yeah. did not. I'll tell you that right now. Right, exactly. And so so there's a little bit of the, we already had our guest stars galore storyline. It's just that was kind of big and serious or sort of as big and serious as you can get for Simonson being on this title so far. Um, and this really is, it's just, it's just a romp where I think I feel Simonson took the time to be like, oh, I, I know what Art Adams wants to draw. But even the sequence where the, you finally get to see why, um, Delilah picked the four people for the, uh, to be the new Fantastic Four so she could get into the, the scroll egg, the sequence in which they use their powers to do it is kind of so laughably after the fact. You know what I mean? Like it well, really was so, just so here's sort of something, funny. Yeah. Here's something I wanted to talk about. Yes. One of the things that works in the earlier issues, even when you're not liking the writing, mm-hmm. is Simonson is a wonderful visual storyteller. Yes. It's not just that he's a wonderful stylist, but that his layouts are really eye-catching, but functional yes they yeah work. they're the perfect right they're the perfect mash all through this storyline but especially in 349 mm-hmm. art adam's layouts are terrible yeah yeah i can see that and i agree Art adam's layouts are really really um they're either boring or they actually work against the story yeah and part of it is i mean you look at page six i'm looking at the gat core thing but it says page six in this mm-hmm. um and it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven panels on the page, mm-hmm. which is kind of unreasonable. But Adams does not seem capable of presenting a dominant image on a page or 
presenting a way for the eye to flow between panels. Right. He just his pages are lots of different pictures mm-hmm. that don't relate to each other. No, that's that is that is absolutely true. There the the in the best case scenario the layout is rudimentary. Every once in a while you'll see something. But yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. In in that sense Art Adams kind of reminds me of um Frank Cho, weirdly enough, a, a guy who like I I like the way that he draws stuff from time to time, but there's but his storytelling, like you said, his his ability to design a page to to make it interesting to read, um, is is just it's almost it's all but impossible. So yeah, it it and it's really you see here how bad his storytelling is. Mm-hmm. But he's also not served well by the story, which is asking him to do like anywhere between six and twelve panels a page, mm-hmm. which really goes against Art Adams's uh, skills. Yeah, that's that, I guess that Adams is true. Cannot, he can't design a page, mm-hmm. so you have to make the layouts easy for him. Right. By which I mean like a small number of panels, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it doesn't work and there, there's you know there's moments that are charming i love that he actually plays up how short wolverine is continually yes love it that that's like true. the second last page of the issue wolverine is looking up at the scrolls because he has to because he's short and that's a funny visual gag mm-hmm. you know but there's not enough of that mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. this and so for me this storyline as well as being forgettable it really shows up how weak art adams is as an artist mm-hmm. as a comic artist i mm-hmm. should say mm-hmm. well i mean yeah, well, certainly compared to, uh, compared certainly compared to Simonson. But I mean, I, it's funny. This is probably unfair, but I still think of Adams at this particular point in time as being a relatively new artist. But of course, for me, I think. But he's not. This is what nineteen ninety one. Sure. Like he's been around for at least five years. At this point. Well, yeah, sure, five years. But I mean, like Simonson's been around for twenty at that point, so he's just going to look much worse compared to Simonson. But sure. But I'm I'm not just comparing him to Simonson. Is what I'm saying. Right. Like you... I I think I think Adams is making choices and mistakes that other artists who came around after Adams would not make. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, to my to my mind, that's also because Adams is one of those cartoon, uh, one of those comic artists whose page count is super low because of the amount of how detailed his work is. Oh, sure. Is. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, he's done, like, what, realistically? Like, yeah. under 30 comics? Yeah, it really seems like it, you know? And so... He seems like a guy who, you know, quickly moved into the echelons of a guy who got good money for doing cover art and commissions and is... Well, that's just it. His sequentials are weak. Yeah, his sequentials are weak, yeah. Because he doesn't have the experience. I I think you're right. Mm -hmm. But I I wouldn't necessarily go, oh, that's because he's he's a new artist because he's not well yeah i see what you're saying and 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 to and to be fair to reinforce your point i don't feel like adams ever really does ever develop i i mean i don't follow his stuff closely enough but every time i pick it up i'm like yeah it's charming illustrations and the storytelling is not strong it always somehow ends up being filled with all kinds of great stuff that i should love and ends up being kind of dull you know, and I yeah. and I feel like that is that is 
that is part of the problem. So, I mean, that, that will be his problem. That as far as I'm concerned, but, but yeah, but this, this, this entire storyline, like, it's funny. Cause we've basically spent the last hour and a half saying, you know, all of these stories feel like filler. This storyline really feels like filler. Oh and for me, yeah. Uh-huh. And for me, it really is because it's like, it's really not a fantastic four story. Right. Like he literally writes out the rest of the group apart from Reed. Right. Well, but again, I feel like I, I see your point, but I'm like, again, it's so it goes from being, you know, I mean, the Fantastic Four at this point are is a book that has five characters and mm-hmm. you basically see him turn down the heat from three out of the five to two out of the five to one out of the five, you know, across this stretch of issues basically Mm -hmm. by the time you get there he just he just kind of doesn't care again there's sort of a i'm going to draw something that's very that's going i'm going to write something that is going to be you know either i or the person on the book is going to find fun to draw and again there's the sort of wit aspect but yeah it's it 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 really is it's it's diminishing returns that's why it's going to be so interesting to me to read issue 350 which i believe i read originally um and hearing everyone talk about it uh you know it'll be it'll be interesting to revisit but here i'm kind of at this stage of I feel I feel without even intending to Engelhart uh, Simonson has more or less proven Engelhart's point at the end of Engelhart's run, you know, the idea that the FF are over, you know, because they can't move forward anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Simonson is not drop the book into the kind of cover band shenanigans that Engelhart more or less predicted that would come but by the same token the the very explicit feelings of stagnation that Engelhart decries in his final issues they kind of do feel like they're here you know see that's interesting I would say yes and no mm-hmm I think the time bubble story arc in concept and in actually in first issue mm-hmm. feels very much like a refutation of that. I feel that that issue really stands out as a, Oh no, there's somewhere to go with a fantastic four. I think the rest of the, that storyline mm-hmm. consistently sort of uh, pulls back from the potential of that first issue. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get to, I, I would actually say Mesozoic Mambo. I think I'm going to stand up for Nukebusters much more than you. But by the time you get to Mesozoic Mambo, and especially the follow-up, which mm-hmm. I never said the issued title, 70 million years BC and then some. Again, his, he does good titles. Yes, awesome. absolutely. But by the time you get to that, there is a sense of, of just, like, this isn't a run as much as it's a collection of random stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like even Burns Run felt like a run more, and it was a collection of random stories when it started. But there was a forward momentum to the book in general, and there isn't here. Well, you know, I, so you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, you really do feel 
maybe not like stagnation of the FF as a concept, but stagnation of FF as a series, I think, is present. Well, sure. I, I think so, because again, the closest that what Simonson is doing, the extent to which he's taking on the FF's mission statement is, again, that, that idea that that it's the, the Kirby-ish nature of draw what you want to draw and then figure out how the characters fit into it. And that's going to be that's going to be your story. Um, whereas I do feel like Burns starts off with a random story that guy has that guy had an agenda he had opinions about the ff i think i think oh, Simonson, also, I, I think yeah i think mm -hmm. burn came onto the book with something to prove right exactly and Simonson really didn't oh, Simonson came on like i'm simon i'm old Simonson. i did thor you guys loved it yeah i think well and i i think that's it i think i think Simonson is far too humble a dude for that i think he's just like this is a lark you know, he doesn't take the FF too seriously. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And and I think that there is, that is, most of the time I find that incredibly to his credit. But it's strange how much for a book that you and others are sort of lauding as, as one of the great runs is super super quickly diminishing returns you know what's funny is like do you remember how burns run the first like the first badge of issues we did for baxter building we were like holy shit yes and like the second badge we were like oh and the third right. we were like oh no right like that also had a very quick diminishing returns yeah 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 I, yeah i wonder if there's no way to do this book and not have diminishing returns i kind of think that that might be I think that might be the case. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I should mention very quickly because I think it might tie into things. Um, I pop up as a Patreon special uh, uh, whatnots on the excellent We Eat Art uh, podcast uh, that the uh, delightful uh, Zach Smith and his compatriot, who actually was not part of the episode that I recorded um uh, recorded. Let me see here. That was a few weeks ago. So I, I want to yeah, say it, that, was, yeah. that was just before the like the last episode we recorded. Yes, exactly. It just came out now. I got to jump over to Twitter. So yes, it's me, Zach Smith, the really delightful and super smart Mark Thompson, Thomas Gibson, who uh, curated the Black Pulp Art Show. Um, we talk about. Uh, Black Panther and one of the things is Zach as a as a fan of this podcast thought to invite me on so that I could talk about uh, Don McGregor and Don McGregor's influence on the Black Panther movie really I, I had a great time talking about them but one, one of the things that Zach Smith said was A. I love your guys's podcast it's perfect for lonely people like me because I can put it on and listen to you talk Although sometimes you'll be talking about a comic book for 20 minutes before I realize, before you even mention the title of it. So I was like, ooh, okay, I'm doing summaries for these goddamn stories. Uh, <laughs> but in the course in the course of talking about the origin of, of, of Black Panther, I don't, I don't, maybe we didn't actually bring it up in the episode. Black Panther uh, was designed by um, Kirby along with a bunch of other concepts that were supposed to be part of the Marvel expansion that didn't come about. And so therefore they all got shifted into the FF. So 
that's the quote unquote official story about the Inhumans and Black Panther and all that stuff that we think of as this incredibly heady time for uh, the FF really did ha a lot of it was as we hear so often about Kirby him taking different ideas and him always kind of moving forward and then just folding them back into whatever he was working on if he didn't have the opportunity to to do his own thing with them and so mm -hmm. there's always that perpetual feeling of moving forward that the FF has when it when it launches and I feel like anyone who gets onto the FF has that moment of like oh boy like I've got the I've got this FF story that I've been dying to tell and then as soon as you get through it you're like okay where do I go from here and you're really torn between you're, you're I mean we've talked about this all throughout the Baxter building it's really hard to tell a story about a family and not have the family change but if you change it too much you just move into a territory where people are feel kind of weird and alienated like well uh, but especially consider that this is coming after Engelhart yes who did change the family and was explicitly told to change them back yes exactly so I mean the in that sense the the unconscious struggle is over like even burn burns got his agenda but once he moves the characters back to the point where he wants and sort of begins moving his plots to where he wants them to go uh, you know it's kind of in a way it sort of returns to this the 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 human torch and Rusty Collins' story is this like reading that story. Part of what's problematic is that feeling of like, is there really anything that's really interesting about Johnny? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just kind of at this particular point, like the things about the FF in part because of who they are and who they've become. Um, and, weirdly for characters that started off being at the forefront of, of Marvel's conception of superheroes is like people with feet of clay. They're, they're kind of clay, like unclay, like, you know what I mean? Like the Reed is one has once again, it is utterly without blemish is as close to God as we can get. And is kind of a, just a pure at best. He's a pure pulp hero you know, mm -hmm. and at worst, he's just a, you know, get out of jail free card for the end of any story, which is very much how, I mean, it, as much as I love Kirby, that's kind of how Kirby told his stories. You know what I mean? Like Kirby cheated like nobody's business, but you had the advantage of he was going to take you somewhere new or he was going to break out some riff on a classic Kirby trope and at the end he was going to break out another classic Kirby trope to get all the toys back in the box for next issue you know and uh, I don't know I, I'm I know I'm just rambling here but I do think that w what fascinates me uh, now that we are that you and I have personally read close to th right on the cusp of having read 350 issues of the Fantastic Four in a row is what a hard book it is to create for. What a hard book it is to write in many ways. And, and I, I think that Simonson is really demonstrating that. Yeah. Because Simonson can't keep all five at this point. 
mm-hmm. principal characters of this book in motion at once. Yeah. He, he, he can barely keep three of them out of the five. But, I mean, he really has dropped. Yeah. Like, Sue is just is non-existent in this book for all intents and purposes. Right. Johnny has, since the end of the time bubble, pretty much done the same. Mm-hmm. Johnny's pretty much faded into the background as well. Yeah. You know, Ben exists through force of personality. Mm-hmm. And because, like I said, Simonson, I think, writes that sort of character very well. But really, it's Sharon and Reed. Those, mm-hmm. are, the, those are the characters in the book right now. Mm-hmm. And it's... It demonstrates how difficult it is to write the, not only the family dynamic between them, but that many characters and give each of them their moment. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, so, and I and I think Simonson just doesn't, for, you know, maybe it's to his credit, he kind of doesn't even feel like trying, I think. You know, I, we'll see how the rest of it goes. Maybe the Johnny stuff is going to play off. But, you know, some of this stuff just feels like placeholders, you know, of like, here's my little note that I'm going to hit. In some ways, it actually kind of reminds me of the issues that Roger Stern was doing with the Avengers, where Stern sets up the characters and sort of sets up their conflicts and gives gives those conflicts a certain amount of... Uh, page time per issue but you know fuck if he's going to pay him off you know what I mean like there is shit I was shocked by I'm like wow this Black Knight storyline has been running on forever in Avengers you know of Mm -hmm. of three years of like maybe I can uh, ask Jan if she wants to go to lunch sometime oh no never mind the building's collapsed on me you know that kind of stuff I just (laughs) oh no the building's collapsed on me what you gonna do yeah, exactly. That, that building's collapsed. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> anyway, Graham McMillan, uh, I think we covered those issues somehow. I think I think we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is kind of... I can't lie, Jeff. I'm kind of sad at how disappointed I am in these issues going back through them again. Yep. yep. You know, I really am, though. But I, it, it's... People are going to complain that you've gaslit me again. Maybe I know. You are, I, I know. Oh, it's kind shit. of scary. It's kind I of scary. Save me from Jeff. Yep. Yeah. People wanted to. I got to admit. This is like. Well, I, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that listeners aren't leaving me to your your my evil clutches. Internet. I have won round two. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> How many rounds remain of Simpson Mania? Sorry, Simonson Mania. One round. Yeah. Uh, Nets, Nets, Baxter Building, we're doing 350 through 355, which sounds like six issues of Walt Simonson. It's not. There's two villains in there. Holy shit. It's, Walt it's Simonson. The final, oh. It's the final four issues of Simonson, plus two additional villains. And we, you all know how much we loved the villains, villains last time. I want to say it's finger off for both uh, villains again, Jeff. Wow. God Is bless. it? It's definitely finger off for... Nope, Len Kaminsky does the fill-in for 351. Wow, wow. He, that guy must have been in diapers. Huh, that's amazing. Okay, well, yeah, we sure got um, We got a lot to look forward to, I have to tell you. <laughs> yeah, so in, in I, actually I have no idea when the next Baxter Building is going to be at this point because we are like horrifically off schedule because of multiple reasons. But the Nets Baxter Building is going to be 350 through 355. It is going to see us bid a fond farewell to uh, Mr. Walter Simonson 
and brace ourselves for the sheer unrelenting horror that is Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan. Yeah, we say sheer and unrelenting, but the fact is at 355, like... The, the... 355 is, is a, is a fill-in. It's, it's okay. Well, yeah, which is not... I'm not saying, like, woohoo, but I'm just saying, like, by the end of the next podcast, we're we're really close to the end, Graham. We're pretty close to uh, accomplishing the the Baxter Building it's... mission statement. Uh, which is which is very unnerving to me. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? I really don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> anyway, Anywho, this is the point. Where yeah, I'm going to start wrapping things up because that otherwise we're going to start. I'm start going to start buzzing again, exactly. and nobody wants that. No. And I tell you that you can find show notes for this episode up, let's say around midday on Monday. Mm-hmm. at waitwhatpodcast.com there is a tumblr waitwhatpods.tumblr.com we are on twitter at waitwhatpodcast I want to also say before I get to the part where we are on twitter individually that I, Jeff I think it's fair to say that both of us are, are honestly embarrassingly touched by everything that people have been saying to us yeah. uh, on email and, and twitter and comments on the website about the reasons for the recent delay. Yeah, definitely. It it it's it really is so hugely appreciated. I um I was kind of eager to get back into the old podcasting seat and talk about this stuff in part because I was like, oh boy, I'm not going to be able to redeem myself on the Walt Simonson front on this episode. But also just kind of that idea of uh, I, uh, the number of people that reached out to both be so generous and so compassionate, but also kind of were generous enough to mention the fact that we had helped them get through tough times by listening to our crazy babble. Uh, that that touched me so deeply. Like that is that really was profoundly moving and kind of made me think like, well, I, I think I can probably get on this horse pretty soon. Um, uh, and anyway, I, I suspect for those of you who just listened to Baxter building solo, um, uh, that's pretty much all I'm going to say. I suspect next time Graham and I do a, 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 an actual wait, what, which should be somewhat soonish. Um, I can talk about a little bit more, a little bit more detail about some of that stuff. Yeah, but let's, let's just take our time. Yes. Is all I'm going to say. Agree. You know? Yeah. Said, I'm going to completely distract from from any more awkwardness by saying uh, Jeff is on Twitter solo at Lazy Bassett at L A Z Y B E S T I D. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And as always, we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff has to put on his Patreon helmet and launch into the Patreon sphere. Indeed, yeah. which it, when drawn by Walt Simonson looks amazing when I do that. Uh, it's a little more awkward when it's just me. Uh, Imagine if it, like Simonson's drawing it, but doing the word balloons as well. Like, it's, it's like the sound effects. <laughs> like, it would be like, shakaboom, shakaboom, would be like four O's, made of, like perfectly square. Yep. Yeah. God love those O's. Uh, yeah. Listeners, you are awesome. We appreciate 
all of you, everyone who takes the time to listen to us, let us know that you're listening to us. Uh, take the time to leave reviews on podcast on iTunes, um, giving people the heads up. Uh, we're we feel incredibly lucky to have such awesome listeners and some of those awesome listeners are on patreon where they throw us a little bit of uh of um uh simonson cash yeah that's what we call it simonson cash simonson dosh i, was trying to think I know i was too i was like simonson i don't know in any of it diamondoshison definitely diamondoshison <laughs> Uh, we're, we are, we are super, super grateful for their support, especially the kind crude American ninth art studios and Empress Audrey queen of the galaxy. Um, we're grateful for their continuing support of this here, uh, podcast and, um, from not wiping us, uh, out of the space time chronometer range. Graham? chronometer range yeah i was trying to think about because there is a panel that pops up at the end at dinosaur island where you get to see a, a little glimpse of the the oh uh, the, 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 the time, time bureaucracy yeah. yeah exactly uh and i was trying to think of their name and clearly failed so but, i think that seems fair yeah i think so as well we are going to be back with a regular wade watts at some point in the future i think i think soonish it, but we'll it, yeah. Yeah. We, we uh, neither of us would like to put a date on it, which sounds worryingly vague. <laughs> I know, but it's literally Jeff and I just literally have not talked about when we're recording next, and there's travel in our future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to say it's next week and then be like it's not next week. I'm lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point in the next couple of weeks, we'll be back with a wait. What? Yeah. I feel confident saying that. I, I just so don't too. know if it's next week or the week after. Yeah, sooner rather yeah. than later, but maybe not as soon as we would like. How about that? Uh, I think that's completely fair. Jeff, uh, well done. Well done, Jeffrey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Gramothy. I appreciate it. So... Oh, my God. that's Let's never say that again. <laughs> uh, Jeff, it's, it's a Baxter building, which means you sing us that. I do, indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.